This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Seems like a good time to seek some vengeance. It's episode 493 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Don't worry, I'm not going after anybody. What I am going to tell you more about, though, is Blue Eye Samurai, the anime series from Netflix. Or I should say anime. It's not necessarily anime. The animated series from Netflix, which is fantastic if you haven't already started watching it. By the way, I'm going to give you all the inside info from Michael Green and Amber Nonzumi, who do just a fantastic job putting this thing together. It's a really interesting story, but, you know, it's, it's best to hear it about it from them, right? So I'll let them tell you all about that. Also going to have a couple big reviews for you, including A Haunting in Venice and some really interesting nerd news. Somebody talking about superhero fatigue, also talk about the Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes trailer, going to talk about the trailer for Marvel's Echo and a bunch of other stuff as well. But let's get to it, shall we? Going to talk to Michael and Amber about Blue Eye Samurai from Netflix. Do it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yo, this is Greg Sipes, Teen Titans Go. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy, 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 Nerdy Podcast. Nerdy, Nerdy, Nerdy Podcast. This guy's the biggest nerd you ever met. The nerdiest of the nerds. It's James with him, Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi. Hi, James. Nice to be talking with you. Nice to be talking to you, Michael and Amber. How are you all doing today? We're doing great. We're doing great. We're excited to be talking to you. I'm excited about this show, quite frankly, because it took my breath away in the first few seconds. I was so excited to see this thing and I wasn't let down at all. What what was it about this particular story you felt like it needed to be told? I mean, thank you for saying that. That's very kind. We made sure the first few seconds were patient and, you know, beautiful and kind of just said to the audience, hey, hang out here. This is going to be pretty. This is going to take its time. Why did this story need to be told? I think because we thought of it. And we had to tell it. That's a pretty good answer. <laughs> I don't think we've seen a show, a samurai story about somebody who's mixed race. And if if it exists, don't tell me about it because I'd like to think <laughs> that this was a very original story. I think you nailed it, actually. Yeah, I think you got it. <laughs> But talk about your main character music for a second, because it's I think it was very deliberate. I don't think this is a spoiler that we don't hear her name in the first episode at all, at all. I thought that was very great, very deliberate on you guys' part. Tell us, what is it about her that makes her so special? I think that she, you know, she's internalized this idea that she's a monster 
And so in a way, like the that self-loathing becomes her superpower at the same time, because that's this rage is what fuels her and has made her so single-minded and such a skilled swords person, swordsman. Yeah, no, and I just appreciate you noticing that because we wanted to take that person who was driven in that way and give her the treatment that usually is reserved for your strong, silent male figures. Um, you know, we were, when we were talking to Maya Erskine about building her performance for it, she's like, so I've always wanted to be Clint Eastwood. And we're like, yes, you know, it's it's the Mizu with no name for at least the moment. And you have to wait to identify her um, by that name because we're treating her mystery. And she's, de- you know, she's dehumanized. She has been called within the first few minutes a monster and a demon. And, you know, she doesn't right. she doesn't get a name until you really see her her story and you know more fully so on the surface and especially in the trailer we get okay this is a story of revenge 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 but even in the early going i'm i you know you see the revenge but is the story more just more than that because i feel like there's there's healing there there's cleansing there there's so many layers to this thing that you don't get just from the trailer once you start watching it yeah, I mean, look, we're very happy with how it's being marketed. Um, revenge uh, is is really the top line for it. But we were surprised that that's what distilled down. We're not mad at it at all. But we think of the show as so much more. It's she's driven by revenge. But that's the start of her story. There is a long way to go. It will be a difficult role, road. Healing is never perfect. But we're looking for, you know, this, as Amber said, this is someone who's internalized so much self-hatred. That means her quest for revenge, some people will see as kind of sad or misguided. And um, she, at the very least, she has to learn some tough lessons that maybe it isn't all so clear. And ultimately, any revenge story is driven by a broken heart. And so there's always some healing that needs to take place. It's not just, you know, the revenge happens and suddenly you're you're healed and you're whole again. Um, but hers in particular, because she has so much self-loathing over it that there is definitely a longer arc for her to you know complete that that journey uh, i would just I like th- to add that that was a very good answer no it, was, it really was i was i was my, very, my very jaw good. was in the process of hitting the floor but but I'm, i didn't I'm get glad a chance. it was it. a really good answer <laughs> so i think the the clint eastwood thing was a good comp actually because she's got this whole you know lone wolf type thing about her but then i don't know how you guys manage this to find some comic relief in this thing but I want you to talk about Ringo for a second because I fell in love with that dude like immediately. We all did. And it's uh, Masioka. We used to play a game when we were uh, writing scripts initially of who's going to play Ringo that isn't Masioka. Right. <laughs> and the answer was always, I guess it's Masioka. Um, and you know, we, we've known him a long time just uh, going back from Heroes and uh, we were happy to give him that call. You know, Whenever you have a character like Amizu who's so driven, comedy is so natural to the moment because all you'd have to do is poke them and it's funny. And then it's just who's the best person to poke them. That is so, so true. And I want to talk about also the the animation studio that you guys chose, because I, I don't know how you guys nail these things, but you certainly nailed it with your animation studio. Talk about the visuals and how you put this world together, because, again, it was just it was just amazing for me. Well, so the animation studio worked hand in hand with our team, you know, our team here, providing the visuals and also working with them to to nail the animation style. It was a very long and arduous process, one that we were not prepared for, <laughs> but we're, I mean, we're thrilled with the the results. 
Yeah, it just takes working with a lot of incredible and incredibly talented people who care about detail. And everyone yeah, actually, who came onto this show signed a board for like, they knew what the vision was. They would read these scripts that we'd written and with stories that had a lot of intention by them. And it's just, you know, we just said, we're telling these stories, help us. And and we were so uh, humbled and grateful for like the caliber of people who said, oh, yes, please. It's interesting to me too, because the, the action sequences in this thing are just insane. And as writers, I know, you you know, you plan all these things out, you get it on the page, but how on earth... Do you work with somebody to be able to take in an in animation, mind you, to be able to take what's in your head on the page and get it on the screen? What, what's that process like? Because for this thing, I can imagine it was a big one. Yeah, I mean, it, it took uh, deliberate steps. Um, we we worked, you know, we work with J uh, Jane Wu, our supervising director, who has a martial artist uh, background and really cares about the details. She called in a favor to Sunny Sun, one of the premier stunt coordinators, choreographers uh, in features, you know, worldwide. Um, she kept saying he owes me a favor. She was very vague on the subject. We still don't know what the favor is. We don't know is. what the favor is, but she called it in. But and it was obviously a very big favor. Yeah. And uh, it also helps, you know, our, our uh, partners at Netflix knew that aggressive, you know, assertively designed uh, and beautifully choreographed fight scenes were going to be a you know part of the fun of this because it was written into the scripts that these were character moments, but they were on their feet. So they invested in letting us hire Sunny Sun to do a certain number of um, sequences for the season, which we then allocated through. And that took a lot of the pressure off our board teams to not have to design fights. Or uh, That said, we also have, with Jane Wu and our whole animation team here, they would film stunt reference by themselves. I mean, you know, it was... They, if they didn't have a martial arts background before, they have one now. We would come into the office and people would be in kimonos. Everybody was kung fu fighting is like the joke, but like it was for real. They would be uh, and you know recording it and sending it off to our vendor studio, Blue Spirit, to uh, use as reference. And Jane went to France to visit Blue Spirit and the animators there. And she brought a suitcase full of weapons. Uh, I mean, swords, not not guns. But <laughs> I'm I'm sure she's still on a watch list. But she would bring all these swords, and she took. I mean, we have some pictures somewhere. She took all the animators like outside and gave them like a you know beginner's martial arts course and had them feel the weight of the sword and what it would feel. I mean, it was really it was. It took that attention to detail to, you know, get what you see on the screen today. Yeah, just like the way you grip a katana is different than people might imagine. And you will see all that play out and then some, trust me, on November the 3rd. That's when Blue Eye Samurai is coming to Netflix. And boy, have they cooked up a good one for you. Michael and Amber, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Really nice to hang out with you. And once you watch this, if you give it a chance, you really see the uniqueness of the story coming through. Blue Eye Samurai is not just your typical samurai story. It's not just your typical Edo Japan style story. This thing's really got a lane of its own. That's one of the things I really, really dug about it. Plus the animation itself is absolutely gorgeous. Just one of the many reasons you're not going to want to miss Blue Eye Samurai now streaming on Netflix. Boy, is this one something I was really, really hoping was going to be good. Definitely did not disappoint. Again, thanks to Michael and Amber for joining me to talk about Blue Eye Samurai from Netflix. Up next, let's talk about a haunting in Venice. The Pierrot story continues next on the Down and Nerdy podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is Scott Lobdell, and if I wasn't a guest, I wouldn't even be listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. The only thing better than a murder mystery is a haunted murder mystery. And A Haunting in Venice is now on digital HD from 20th Century Studios. I wanted to give you my spoiler-free review of this thing now that it's on digital HD. By the way, I was provided a free copy of this for review, and all opinions here are my own. And yes, this is another Hercule Poirot series that is well it's it's a movie it's not a series it's so it's another one of those stories this time it's going to be taking in post-world war ii venice and actually Poirot is now retired he's in exile wants nothing to do with taking cases at all but then a friend of his shows up and says you know here's the deal you know there's this crazy thing i need you to help me discredit it you know just come to this come to this house and see what happens and of course he decides to go and yeah, that's when kind of everything starts to break loose. It's really hard for me to talk about this thing without spoiling anything because this is one of those where, you know, you're kind of looking for all the clues sort of things, right? And you're trying to figure out, you know, who's guilty, who isn't, who might be involved. And there's there's a lot of people that just simply hated this movie. And quite frankly, all of these mov- movies kind of follow the same formula. They explain what's going on. They explain what the case is. Something if, if someone hasn't, somebody hasn't already been murdered, they end up getting murdered, and then you have to try. And then you know he questions all the suspects, and you see him sort of. I say him and Hercule put it all. That's who tries to work through the clues, and then eventually comes to his epic conclusion, sort of thing. That's the formula that this thing's been following from the beginning, and it's like people were mad, and. It's like there's they forgot what the formula for these movies was. Well, guess what? They're using the same freaking formula here. It's just a different type of story because this time you're kind of talking about a haunted house. Is it haunted or is is it not? Because remember, we're talking about post-World War II Venice here. So it's not like modern times. I think people have a little bit more of a, you know, more of a, I don't know. I don't know if understanding is the right word or more of a open mind when it comes to things like that than they would have back then, especially in in Italy. Although, I guess it depends on who you talk to, right? But so he's trying to, does he end up getting roped into this thing? Yes, he does. That's that's certainly no, that's certainly no secret. But there's also like the, is it a haunting or is it not? What really happened to this girl that disappeared years ago? And how does it tie in to everything that's going on right now? And And they certainly do a decent job, I think, of trying to make, Several people look like suspects, and Kenneth Branagh again back as Hercule Poirot, and basically gives another really good performance as the character. I mean, this is your classic Agatha Christie story, and he's done a great job from the beginning as the title character. But I mean, the the cast is stacked. 
You got Michelle Yeoh, who is who plays Joyce in this thing. You got Jamie Dorn, Dornan, who plays Dr. Ferrier. You have Tina Fey, who's very interesting as Oliver. She's an author, authoress as they call her. And she's sort of the friend, acquaintance, whatever you want to call her, of Poirot. And you've got some younger characters as well. So it's it's a decent cast. It was also interesting to see Kelly Riley in here because you look at her now and you think Yellowstone, you think Beth. And then to see her as Rowena Drake in this movie kind of threw me off because they're just so different characters. And it's I, I swear it's not a typecasting thing. It's really not. So so to see her in this role was just it was just very different. That's all I'm saying. So it might throw you off a little bit if you're watching this thing. And I will say that I I thought I knew from the jump who the killer was. And everybody sort of... It, there was no, like, one person that was guilty here. And I thought that was part of the interesting thing of this whole thing is there wasn't necessarily one guilty party. There were several guilty parties, not necessarily of the murder, mind you. So that, that much I will... That much I could tell you. But there, there were several people involved that whose hands weren't necessarily clean. Let me just put it that way. So, and and how things get worked out is very interesting. I don't know that they quite capture the eeriness that they were going for or the hauntingness that they were going for in this thing. It definitely wasn't like horror-esque. There wasn't really any jump scare quality to it. I think they try a couple times and don't really succeed for that. But it's almost like these movies at times forgot what they were. You know, it's kind of like, you, you, I, like I said, again, you're following the same pattern here, but then you almost tried to be a certain movie that you weren't. And I don't know why they decided to stray from that. It's almost like, okay, if you just stuck in your lane, maybe things would have been a little bit better. But again, I think, I think it gets lost in, I, I think it got lost a little bit in, in that they were trying to prove so much that we can do a supernatural murder mystery thing here that you kind of lost your way with the actual murder mystery. And what you want to do when you're watching movies like this is hunt for clues yourself too, right? And there's some of that. They do do some of that. But then they get away from it a little bit too. And I liked the questioning of this. I actually liked some of the questioning of the suspects as well. But again, then they kind of drift away from that a little bit. And and I thought the whole dynamic between Poirot and Oliver didn't work as well for me. It just, it didn't hit. Maybe it was the chemistry between Kenneth Branagh and Tina Fey that just didn't do it for me. Or just having Tina Fey in this role in general was a little bit weird. It just, I didn't quite buy it from her, I guess. And I may, maybe part of it is just, I'm not just, a, I'm just not a big Tina Fey fan. And Michelle Yeoh, I thought she was very good. But, you know, maybe we didn't get enough of her. Jamie Dornan was very good as well. And the way everybody's story sort of ties, the way they tie the story together was fine. It was just, I thought some of the better performances we didn't necessarily see enough of. So that was the other thing that kind of drew me out of this a little bit as well. There was nothing wrong with the story. It was fine. There was nothing wrong with the acting. Although, again, you got to know what you're getting into when you're doing a movie like this, right? You have to know what you're getting. There's going to be some over-the-top acting performances. That's just what you're going to get from this thing. It's not like they're going for something else. That's exactly what they're what they're going for. And again, it was it was okay. It just wasn't really that spooky, wasn't really that eerie. They kind of tried to overdo it at times to try and force it in there and it just didn't really work out 
very well. But again, it was a fine detective story, and maybe I'm picking it apart a little bit too much, but it didn't blow me away. Didn't think it was bad either. I certainly don't think it was as bad as some people did. It was just kind of there. If I'm ranking the movies in the series, I don't know that I'd put this one near the top either. But And, and again, I don't know that we need to keep doing these. I think we might be done with Hercule Poirot and his stories in the, in the Agatha Christie stories. So, again, we'll see where this goes. This one was fine. If you already liked all the other movies in the series, certainly worth seeing. I don't know that this is the one that's going to make you jump on board and want to see the others. You could certainly watch it without having watched the others, and you'd be fine. Because, you know, him being retired is the only thing you kind of need to know. For this one, you already know who he is, and they even explain his character, even in this movie as well. So, A Haunting in Venice, now available on Digital HD. It'll actually be available on Hulu as well if you want to watch it there. And, yeah, it was just, it was okay. Definitely worth seeing if you're a fan of the genre, if you're a fan of these movies anyway. I think it would be worth your time. That's going to do it for my review of A Haunting in Venice. Up next, going to jump into some nerd news and maybe give a few opinions of a couple things, too. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is John Lehman. You are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Release dates once again waddling down the road. It's time for nerd news. And, yep, the Writer's Guild strikes and the actor strikes certainly causing some release dates to be delayed. And Deadline has reported that Penguin, the Penguin spin Batman spinoff series, it's going to be coming to max. It was originally scheduled for spring of 2024. Now, because of the strikes, it's going to be moving to the fall of 2024. I don't know how you give anything a window at this point, and that's fine. And, you know, it's funny. It's because it's like, okay, well, why are you talking about this right off the jump? Why is that big news? Well, actually... Part of it is because one of the executive producers, Casey Bloys, was talking about this Penguin series. And I thought it was really interesting what they had to say because they were talking about how Bloys thinks that this one can actually start, you know, curing a little bit of superhero fatigue. And, and this is the reason why where Bloys says, quote, I don't know that it's necessarily tentpole fatigue as much as it is sameness in storytelling. I think the key even with DC, within DC, is trying to tell different stories in different styles to try not to do the same show over and over and over again. And kind of going on to say that there's no uniformity in storytelling and thinking that ha- that helps and that, unfortunately, Marvel, as good a sh- as their shows are, there's probably a lot of them and, that, you know, a lot of the same storytelling, basically, to sort of paraphrase there. So... I thought that that was very, very interesting. That was said during a programming showcase in New York, by the way. And I, th- I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Because obviously when you're looking at this Penguin series, and if you remember from the Batman, there's, there's very much an organized crime, street level type of thing going on here. And I think that that's what I, I'm hoping more than anything that this is going to be. Is that it's going to be more of a street level organized crime type of series and it's not exactly going to be you know just the same old oh we got to force superhero this that and the other into this thing or we've got to force batman into it or robin or whoever right we don't need to force this it's just you know the power vacuum that's created can very much be told in this series and told well so i kind of have been hoping that's what it's going to be and what blois is saying here 
kind of seems like a good sign for that. So, uh, again, I, I don't mind the fact that this is delayed. I want it to be as good as it can possibly be. And I, see, and I think that's the truth for, for anything that's being delayed because of the strikes. Don't feel like you got to force it in there and, or do it quickly. And you don't feel like you have to, you know, break any, anybody's back of their mind to do this thing either. So I, I think it's smart that they're delaying this. But I think that, you know, Blois has got a point that maybe this is one of those things where you could say, okay, and not every superhero series, movie, whatever, has to be the same. You can do things differently. Now, Will they, at the end of the day, end up screwing it up? They could end up screwing it up, and it could end up being, you know, some of the same old, same old. But at the same time, at least at least they're thinking about it. At least somebody's aware that we need something different. We need some sort of a change in what's going on with these superhero series and movies. At least somebody's paying attention. At least somebody's thinking about it. And, yeah, occasionally we'll get some stuff that's different, but, it you know, we get a lot of the same Lately, and I think that's where the fatigue is coming from. So I don't know. Do you think that's going to help fight fatigue or not? Do you think they can pull it off? Do you say, well, maybe you know, Warner Brothers doesn't exactly give you a ton of evidence that they're able to do something that Marvel's not able to do either. So I understand that as well. But we're also heading into a new regime, and that could—I'm sure that's going to help change some things. So again, this is all wait and see to see if this can actually happen. Here's something that's definitely not happening, though. This was first reported by Variety, and that is the Constantine series that was supposed to be done by J.J. Abrams is now not going to be happening. The series was pretty far along, actually, in development, apparently. And they had they were having talks with the lead actor, and they were going to re- it was going to be set in contemporary London. Now, just not going to be happening. And there's also the Justice League Dark series that's also not happening as well so it seems like the whole dark universe thing is kind of out the window now remember Keanu Reeves is supposed to be coming back for Constantine too does that have something to do with it maybe but again this could be another one of those new regime things have changed type of thing and maybe you've got James Gunn who looks at this and goes well I don't, I don't know that we should really be doing this. And it seems like the shine's really off of J.J. Abrams, quite frankly. At this point, it seems like nobody really wants to be in the J.J. Abrams business anymore. Because it seems like a lot of his stuff is either being canceled or not as well received. And, and, I, and I will say, as somebody who used to be a huge J.J. Abrams fan, I think he's kind of maybe, maybe lost a little bit of a step along the way, too. So, I mean, if you're doing a stock up, stock down in entertain, entertainment... You definitely have to say the stock for J.J. Abrams has certainly gone down from where it was, and it kind of started with Star Wars, didn't it? It kind of started with people thinking that he didn't handle those sequel movies very well. So, and, and you know, we're, I'm not going to go down that debate. I'm not. We're not going to sit here and talk that to death. I can tell you that right now. But what I can tell you is, is that he's out on Constantine. I think that's probably a good thing. I never really thought he was really suited to be able to tell a Constantine story anyway. I don't think that's really his wheelhouse. I think science fiction is a little bit more of his wheelhouse, and I don't know that telling a Constantine story is something I really needed from him in the first place. So I'm not necessarily upset that this isn't happening, quite frankly. And and again, he he's going to be fine. There He'll have other stories to tell. I don't think he's going away anytime soon. I don't think that this is the end 
of us seeing J.J. Abrams. So I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't go that far. But at the same time, the shine definitely off him a little bit, I think. Now let's get to some trailers. Let's talk about some trailer talk in January 10th. And that's when we're going to see Marvel's Echo series, which is finally going to be premiering. And Alakwa Cox is going to be in in the title role. Yes, we are going to see what seems like a lot of Wilson Wilson Fisk. We're going to see Kingpin back in all of his Kingpin glory. Again, it seems like. That seems to be the direction that we're trending. Anyway, and it looks like we're going to get a lot of backstory for for this Echo character. We're going to get a lot of backstory on Maya. It looks like we're going to even be getting some of the Native American influence in this thing. It doesn't look like she's going to have her comic book powers, though. I've seen that kind of kicked around in some stories and some chatter on social media. That's probably not going to make some fans super happy. But, I mean, the action certainly looks there. The intensity seems to be there. We see... We see Maya confront Fisk at one point in the trailer, which we know she was going to do in the first place. And there there goes the mystery as to whether or not he survives in Hawkeye, which we pretty much figured he did, right? It's not like we thought the Kingpin was gone forever. Anyway, but now she was she wanted to confront him, and now it looks like she's going to be able to do just that. And I've also seen it kicked around like, like, yeah, she's the villain. She's a villain in this series. She's not a hero. That was the other thing I that was curious about and this is going to be the first tvma marvel series officially for disney plus when it comes out on january the 10th and what that means i don't know but this is see this is getting people saying well just bring back you know the defenders shows and movies let's just let's just bring back that universe and everybody will be happy not necessarily i don't think that i think that you you're romanticizing it for one and for two if you feel that way Marvel's not just going to all of a sudden be hardcore like they were for those particular series. I know you're you're talking about, oh, well, if they're going to bring back Punisher, they're redoing Daredevil. Maybe they are going to say, you know, in certain instances, we have to be edgier. We can't always be, you know, the for for everyone in the family MCU. Sometimes you've got to be a little bit more edgy. Maybe they finally realize that, but I don't know that they're going to take it as far as, okay, well, let's have our edgier universe over here and then the MCU over here because they they have to... In, remember, in Marvel, in the MCU, everything has to meet at some point. And you can only have worlds collide, but so much. Okay? So you've got to be really, really careful with how you execute this thing because it might not go the way you really plan for it to go and then it looks like a mess. So the, again, that's the problem with the connected universe. I've said that a billion times. But I like the fact that this is going to be a little bit more edgy. Maybe this does set up something in the future where we could see more of this edgy stuff from the MCU. We certainly, I mean, Moon Knight was edgier, but it still could have probably pushed it a little bit further than it actually did, right? So I'm just curious to see how far Echo's going to go. We do see some pretty brutal stuff in the trailer, but just because you see me, a, you show me a bloody white coat and you see, you know, Fisk beating somebody's head in. Doesn't make me think, oh, well, we're going back to the days of the Marvel Netflix series. I don't think we're gonna I don't think I'm ready to say that yet. There could be there could be more of those vibes. There could. It's I'm saying it's possible, but I don't necessarily think that there's a guarantee there either. So yes. Gonna see Marvel's Echo on January the tenth, 
on Disney Plus, and we'll have to see where it goes from there. Gonna have to wait a little bit longer though for Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Yes, the Planet of the Apes movies are back. Memorial Day 2024. That's where it's set right now. Again, anything could change because of the ongoing SAG after strike. And of course, as long as the writer's strike took as well. But this one seems like it's gonna be in the can. Now, Wes Ball is now here to direct the Planet of the Apes movies. Of course, he did the Maze Runner series, if you're not familiar with him. And this is basically set in a, in a world, it's in the future. It's generations following Caesar's reign. The apes are now the dominant species. And they're the, they're the ones that are living happy lives. And humans are the ones that are kind of, you know, living on the outskirts and in the shadows. And apparently the apes have this new tyrannical leader. We get to see that a little bit in the trailer. And that's an empire that's building. But then there's a young ape who's going to take on the journey that's going to cause him to question everything he knows about the past and make choices that define the humans and the apes alike. That's kind of a you know layout of the synopsis, if you will. And you get to see it's very much a kingdom of the haves and have-nots in this trailer. The script has definitely been flipped. And to see it from this different perspective, I think, is going to be a little bit more interesting at this point because now you're seeing it from, well, you were sympathetic to the apes in the original, in in the past trilogy, right? Now it looks like they're going to flip it completely. And is it going to be more of a 50, 50 thing? Is it going to be, are we finally going to get to see something where we can sympathize with the humans a little bit? Cause it seems like when we do movies like this, we always make the humans out to be the bad guys, Avatar, and we never make the humans out to, you know, be the ones that are the, that are the downtrodden, the ones that you're kind of rooting for. So, and I mean, maybe you're going to say to me, James, like every movie ever is is the one where you get humans that you're rooting for. Okay, but not all people are bad people. Can we just throw that out there right now? Because it seems like there's so many times where, oh, humans bad, all these people bad. Can we not highlight the fact that some people are good and maybe some people are just a little bit more down than 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 you think that they might be sort of thing so I'm just saying that it'll be nice to see if we get to see the humans be the good guys a little bit in this thing but maybe you're saying you know well based on everything they they kind of deserved it did they not based on everything that they put the apes through in the previous trilogy and Caesar's reign and things like that I mean not all of them right not everybody was against them so you got to think about that as well. I'm just saying it, it, that the vibes in this one seem to be interesting. It's just a teaser trailer, so don't we don't give away a ton. But again, it's just visually it looks incredible. I think the effects already, the, the little bit that we saw, were very, very good. They found a formula that worked for these movies as well, which I think is great. And I'm curious to see how this moves the momentum of the franchise forward, especially with a new director at the helm, because the, the previous few movies were very good. That was a great trilogy. So now we have to see how they can kind of continue this thing without making it seem like you're getting the same thing again over and over again. And But I, I think that they've, again, found something here where they're going to make it so we're not getting the same thing over and over again. So, I mean, props to them if they're able to do that, but you, you got to say the jury's still out on it just a little bit but looking forward to kingdom of the planet of the apes and see how that moves forward i wasn't going to talk about this but then i watched the tra- trailer and i was like you know what this looks pretty fun let's do another heist type movie right so this one's called lift 
It's going to be coming from Netflix on January the 12th. Kevin Hart going to be at the lead of this thing as well. But again, Vincent D'Onofrio is going to be in this thing. We've got Gugu Mbothraw, who was in Loki season one. So that's you know another name to recognize as well. And it's basically about an international heist crew led by Cyrus Whitaker, who's Kevin Hart's character. And they have to... I don't know if the steal is the right word. $500 million in gold from a passenger plane that's already taken off. And the, the, the thing that I love about the trailer is like, look, if you do, don't do this, you go to jail. If you do do this, again, you know, you're going to have these people that could be coming after you and you might still end up going to jail if you don't do it right. But this is your classic, you know, get a heist crew of eccentric characters together, put them in a crazy situation and see what happens. And this is a little bit of a different heart, Kevin Hart than we're used to seeing. Yes, he's still funny, and yes, there's still comedic ways there, but where you're acting, you're actually asking him to not play the supporting character in a crew now. You're asking him to play the lead character in a crew, and it seems like he's got, you know, he's got that charm, he's got that wit about him that in the trailer anyway seems to work out. Pretty well. I think that, you know, this thing's definitely got a chance to be pretty good. And just the back and forth between the members of the crew, you got the you got the interesting tech that's involved there as well. And, the, again, the fact that it's just this crazy scenario that's trying to, you know, steal all this money and gold off of a plane that's in the middle of the air already. And how are you going to pull that off? I'm intrigued. You know, it's ridiculous, but, you know, so were all of the Fast and Furious movies. So I'm certainly intrigued enough to check this out. And again, one of those things, don't overthink it. Go into it. Have fun with it. And just don't pick it to death. And maybe you might actually enjoy it. Because we want everything to be the greatest thing that we've ever seen, it seems like. And that's just not always going to happen. It's not realistic. So, Lyft, that's what what I'm talking about. January the 12th. Coming to Netflix. I'm intrigued. If you see the trailer, I want to see if you're intrigued as well. Really quickly, not a huge surprise. Superman and Lois going to end after its fourth season on the CW. I mean, the fact that we've pretty much ditched every DC show on the CW anyway. And Superman and Lois was able to kind of surprise, surprisingly get another season, albeit a shortened season, for the CW. So in, in 2024... That means no more Superman and Lois. But again, at least you know that in advance. You're getting a chance to give this story a proper conclusion, hopefully a proper conclusion. Looked like we were kind of already trending in that direction anyway. The fact that we'll get Lex Luthor, it seems like anyway, a lot in this final season. That's the way it should end. And will it be a happy ending or will it not be? You just have to wait and see. And will this be the end for these characters? Way too early to know that for sure. But Superman and Lois, it's been a good run, if nothing else, right? We've gotten some really great episodes. Four seasons is a decent run, nowadays anyway. So Superman and Lois is going to end after season four on the CW. Yeah, it's sad, but at the same time, the fact that we're going to get a conclusion in the first place and one that's not going to be like super, super short, like for Star, I think they rushed the Stargirl finale, quite frankly, but that's just me. I think that show deserved better. At least this show, hopefully, hopefully, we'll get a proper goodbye. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my amazing guests from Blue Eye Samurai. Also, make sure you're checking us out on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram at Down and Nerdy 
on Facebook, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. Hopefully, I'll be able to start doing some fun stuff on there again as well. And everything you know, you can always find it, by the way, downandnerdypodcast.com. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. 